0: And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show with Pete Sweeney and my esteemed Deputy Editor, John Dixon. Tuesday, September 22nd. We are already in week three here, John. The Chiefs are 2-0 and after
1: what was a close call on Sunday against a rookie quarterback in his surprise first debut. You know, I had the same thought this morning. How is it we're already in week three? I mean it, the this whole year has been so strange mm-hmm. and it it, sem- it seemed like we went through a whole lot of stuff in a very short period of time during the off season it alternately felt like it was going by in a flash and it was taking forever and now the season has started we had a 10 day break between games and all of a sudden we're in week 3 it's like what happened what happened I know it
0: is it is going very quickly it's been a very odd year with covid and and not really being in person at some of these press conferences everything on zoom but you blink and here we are we're we're already at the most anticipated week of the season when you look at the schedule from when we got in the summer, it's the Chiefs mm-hmm. and Ravens week. And it's been a, I think, surprising as is a word I've used a couple times. It's been a surprising first two games where you have the Chiefs and the Texans where they get the win. And then I really didn't expect the Chargers to do what they did. We'll talk about that. On this show, we have our marinated takeaways from Chiefs and Chargers, the 23 to 20 win in overtime on Sunday. We have some injury updates. What we know right now, Andy Reid had a press conference via Zoom on Monday. We'll have the takeaways from that. We'll talk about Andy Reid's mask, because what would we be without talking about that face shield (laughs) that the rest of the league is talking about? Talk about injuries around the AFC West. A heavy injury day on Sunday for the NFL in general. And then we'll tell you what's going on at Arrowhead Pride for the rest of the week. John, are you ready?
1: I am. I'm always ready. Well, okay. not always, but usually.
0: Yeah, most of the time. 98%. We'll give you a 2% window <laughs> for where you. you're, you're maybe not ready. All right. We had our, our game on Sunday that ended up going into overtime. We, we knew that the Los Angeles Chargers front seven was fabulous going into this game. It was very very good. It made things very mm-hmm. difficult for the yeah. Chiefs offense. Only 6 points through the first half. We've had a couple days for this game to marinate. So let's get into some takeaways from this thing. And I want to first get the bad out of the way. You've heard the expression. You want the good news first or do you want the bad news first? Mm-hmm. So we're going to have five takeaways here. Let's get the bad out of the way. Okay. Here we go. Patrick Mahomes right now, after week two, is in the top six quarterbacks in the league as far as dropbacks under pressure. That's not a good thing for the offensive line. It seems that Eric Fisher and Mitch Schwartz, though they're facing two very talented top front sevens here. They are allowing a lot of pressure, especially on the edges. When you're facing elite talent, that's going to happen. But in the past, what you've seen is Mitch Schwartz have a little bit more success with someone coming off the edge. And he has shown a little bit of a regression against that elite talent. Not to say that's going to happen every week, but Patrick Mahomes is under pressure right now. And even though he is the Superman, which I will get into very shortly, still a human. So if you're going to be able to hit Patrick Mahomes, eventually, I think he's going to be impacted. The Chiefs need to clean up their offensive line protection, I think, going into the Ravens game. The run defense. The Chiefs are among right now the worst tackling teams in the league. And you talk about COVID. You can talk about how they weren't in person during the offseason. Doesn't matter. There are teams, 31 of them, at least according to Pro Football Focus, that are performing better at tackling right now, and that's become an obvious problem, and especially at that second level. It's gotten to the third level, and Tyron Matthews has been able to help, thank goodness, but without Matthew, I don't know how these games go. And my other problem with the Chiefs, and then we'll get to the good stuff, bad starts have become a theme for this team. I know that the uh, stat was going around where the last six times the Chiefs have been down by 10 points or more. Patrick Mahomes has won that is eventually going to catch up with you, especially against one of the next two teams that you're facing here in the Baltimore Ravens or the New England Patriots, who suddenly seem like a real team, given the fact that Cam Newton, in uh, out of nowhere, is becoming what looks to be among the better quarterbacks in the league again, now that he's fully healthy, never a guarantee at the age of 31. But again, focusing on the Ravens, that's your number one AFC foe and you can't have a bad start in every single game, eventually you're not going to be able to come back. So those are my uh, bad takeaways, John.
1: Well, one by one. um, First, on the offensive line, I I think we need to give proper credit to the defensive lines we faced in the first two weeks of the season. Um, You're going to have more success against uh, the Chiefs' offensive line when you've got two quality defensive lines. That's a given. I think it's fair to wonder about um, those uh, offensive linemen because they did face good defensive linemen in the playoffs last season and got it together. Uh, I think we could put some of this down to a change. You know, uh, offensive lines like to have continuity. You get better performance when they have continuity. Now we've got uh, Wiley over on the right side where uh, he played better in the past, but he's still playing in a different position than he was. And we've got on the left side, um, and these guys are going to have to get used to each other. And um, so that's probably part of the equation as well. I'm not quite as worried about that as you are, but it's it's definitely something to monitor as we go forward. Going on to number two, uh, tackling is definitely a problem. Uh, Everybody sees it, everybody worries about it, and everybody should worry about it. This is something you learn how to do when you're in eighth grade. If you're an NFL player, this is something that should have been taught a long time ago. Uh, making an excuse about, uh, you know, the offseason is not adequate. We've seen these problems before with the Chiefs. I would tend to think it was more an individual problem about this game, but uh, it's something they're going to have to clean up if, they, if they're if they going to be successful going you, forward. You got
0: three of the most slippery weapons coming in next week yeah. or, or in Baltimore, I should say, yeah. mm-hmm. in Lamar Jackson and Melvin Ingram and J.K. Dobbin, yeah. especially on the ground. And they have some good receivers in, in the air and Matt, Matt Mark Andrews and, of course, Hollywood Brown. So it's going to come quick. Uh, luckily, the Chiefs get an, another day here to, to, I think, reset and figure things out. But the tackling needs to be better if you're going to beat the Ravens.
1: Now, as to the third thing, I don't know about the bad starts. I saw this game more of a a game where they just came out flat for whatever reason. It happens sometimes even with championship teams. I'm not quite as concerned about it as you are. After all, the Chiefs have done well, but yeah, you don't want to get behind all the time. Patrick Mahomes isn't always going to pull you out of these situations. Uh, You can count on him most of the time, but as much as we'd like to make him Superman, he isn't. He can't bend steel with his bare hands, but he can... Uh, bend aluminum with his bare hands. We can count on him for that. <laughs> I like that, John. Let's let's move on to
0: your first marinated uh, takeaway in this game, and that actually is a nice lead-in to to what what you wanted to talk about anyway.
1: Right, it is. I think the thing that that really sticks out to me after thinking about it for forty-eight hours is that the Chiefs did exactly what they did in the Super Bowl, and as they've done in all these other games that they've fallen behind by double digits and come back to win, is they just found a way to win. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can talk about the problems that they had, and they're, they're obvious to everybody, and those problems need to be fixed. But at the end of the game, the Chiefs found a way to win. And this is what championship teams do. And um, on that basis, uh, the, the near loss to the Chargers doesn't really bother me that much. Um, as I wrote on Sunday, uh, division foes are division foes. Those games are always going to be unpredictable on some level. This one was especially so because of the, the last second substitution of starting quarterbacks at the beginning of the game, which is a crazy story. Um, that really, I, I think Craig Stout's analysis on ArrowheadPride.com this morning is spot on. It kind of put the Chiefs behind the eight ball to begin with because you're talking about a quarterback who was able to get the ball out quickly, which is something Tyrod Taylor can't do. And that throws a monkey wrench into the whole defensive plan, whatever it happened to be. And we saw that Spagnuolo did what he's always been able to do, which is to adjust for that. In the second half, the defense was a lot better. And in overtime, it was spectacular. And the Chiefs were able to find a way to win. And that's what we expect from a championship team.
0: Yeah, it is an aspect of it, I think, where... Now the Chiefs have won 11 games in a row. And I just, Mm -hmm. what I would caution you, John, and where I come across on the other end of it's just like, it's not going to happen every week. And that's That's where I I get worried about those poor starts. And that leads me into my third point about this game. And my, another marinated takeaway here. I like that we've come up with the thing where these takeaways have time to marinate. I I, I think that maybe will be what we titled the segment, marinated takeaway. So number three, my marinated takeaway, Harrison Butker is not, a fair thing to add to this offense. And I'll explain why. So I've always looked at Harrison Butker as a solid kicker since 2017. Yeah. Mm-hmm. since the Chiefs got him with the Carolina Panthers. He's been good. I first game was against the Washington football team where he had a, a game winner. And so he was, he was good from, from jump. I never considered him to be on what would be the, the Justin Tucker level, mm-hmm. but let's go back to that situation at the end of the game, 50 plus yards, 53 to start all the pressure in the world. He hits the kick, but false start on Nick Alec Reddy. By the way, Nick Alec Reddy owes Harrison Butker a steak dinner. That's, <laughs> that's not even talking about. False start. Hits it. Then now it's a 58 yarder. He's made a 58 yarder early in the game. Hits it, but there's a timeout. Third time in a row. Another 58 yarder wins the game. Three 50 plus yardage kicks in a row. And I don't want to say that all three were were no doubters, but the attitude I think that Butker displayed after the game where you could clearly see that he truly was getting more confident each 50-yard kick, mm-hmm. and each got better as they went on. There's almost tape out there for head coaches to say, we're, we shouldn't ice this guy. It's pretty clear that he wants a practice shot, so... Let's just let him go that first time. That's your best bet, it seems like, against Harrison Butker, who's a freak, said he was good from 67 and 70 in warm so 58 was swinging easy. In an age now where analytics are ruling and there's a lot of NFL teams going from 4th and 1 and 4th and 2 from their own 40-yard line due to analytics, maybe this makes them think twice now about even going for it given the fact that if you don't get it, That's already three points, three at Mm -hmm. least, Mm -hmm. probably more because you're giving Patrick Mahomes a short field. But if Butker is just swinging his leg easy and hitting from 58, that's the 40-yard line. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's the new saucy play to go for it on fourth down. Our our former comrade, Ethan, who did some analytics for us last year, says go for it on fourth down every play. Maybe there's teams saying – well, that's an automatic three for the Chiefs. Do we really want to give them even more points on a a baseline level? Mm -hmm. Harrison Butker added to this offense and this head coach is just another unfair advantage. And he is right on that Justin Tucker level for me after the other day.
1: You know, what struck me about uh, his comments after the game, um, you know, every kicker will adopt the attitude about attempts to ice them as, well, it just gives me another chance to, uh, you know prepare for this particular kick i get a test run you know so if i need to adjust right. i can he really seems to have completely taken that to heart i mean you hear lip service to that idea from other kickers but what butker showed me on sunday is that he's totally in on that it's not bothering him it at was all. insane he said to yeah. me i got angrier Yeah. Every kid, what are you talking about? It was a false (laughs) start. Why are you angry?
0: It was. Yeah. Yeah. He's taking an approach of a defensive player to the kicking game like that's what defensive players do they make up things in their in their mind that maybe the quarterback did or the opposing receiver did oh i'm gonna stick with you today he was making things up that was your own fault lalegrady jumped off and then he turns to the los angeles sideline and says i just want to get back to kansas city man this guy's got a wife and kids he wants to see dressing like clark kent a little bit of a flex in
1: the post game i love it i love the attitude from Butker. unfair for the offense so Good for him. Good well, for I pointed him. this out on Sunday, but you have to remember that he was iced by the game before right. all of that started. The Chiefs opted to try for the field goal at the two-minute warning. So he had to sit through the two-minute warning break and think about this game-winning kick and then pulls this off. I mean, it was it's an amazing performance. Uh, just amazing. I don't think Anthony
0: Lynn will be not going it for fourth and one in overtime ever again when you have a chance to, to score a touchdown to and yeah. beat the Chiefs. Yep. Don't put the ball in Patrick Bowen's hands, especially with this kicker in overtime. That That's yeah. for sure. All right, John, point number four.
1: I think the thing that really stuck out to me after the game, and I've had a chance to think about it, is that the Chiefs' rookies are looking really good right now. We've got two guys, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, and Legereus Sneed, who look like steals at this point. I mean, Edward Zolaire, a first-round player, you don't want to think of him as a steal, but we've seen enough to see that he can be an effective player in the NFL. Whether he'll be Offensive Rookie of the Year or be the kind of player Kareem Hunt was in his first year is still open to question. But he can clearly be an effective running back at this level. There's not a big worry in my mind that he he won't he'll be a bust or anything like that. Snead has looked very good. Early returns excellent on that guy. So there's two solid players out of the draft. I think we've seen enough to feel really good about Mike Dana at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's had limited snaps. But he played like an all-pro, particularly on that, uh, on that sack on Sunday. Really, really turned my head. He, he, and again, Craig pointed it out this morning in his analysis of the game. Um, he showed everything the Chiefs like about him on that play. His football IQ, uh, his ability to make plays on the field. So, you know, let's say that all three of those guys are hits out of six players. That's a good takeaway from any draft. So right. I feel really good about the fact that we've got three good players and we really don't know enough about the other three uh, to make a determination about them. We haven't seen Willie Gay play hardly at, at all on the defense. Uh, Lucas Niang is, you know, out with the opt-out. And we haven't seen uh, Bo Pete on the field, really. He played on special teams only on uh, on Sunday. So at least three, maybe four, maybe five uh hits out of this draft. It's looking really good at this early stage. Yeah, I'll give you the speed. Brett
0: Veach draft review right now. 2017, he was supposedly heavily, heavily, heavily involved in Mahomes pick. He is getting a lot of credit for that. Uh Ended up being a Dorsey draft, but he was first on Mahomes, so he receives credit for that. 18 was bad. Breland Speaks was the top pick. and O'Daniel and Watts are still on the team, but really just role players. Nadia, the best player there. Then I'm going to just read off 2019-2020 really quickly for you. 19, McCole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, Colin Saunders, Rashad Fenton, Darwin Thompson, Nick Allegretti. 2020, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Willie Gay Jr., Lucas Niang opted out. We'll see. LeJarius Sneed, Mike Dana, Bo Pete keys all have had snaps already in some capacity for the Chiefs this year. So, yeah, after a really, really questionable draft in 2018, you give him that because... He was, had a big part in, in drafting maybe the greatest NFL player of all time. So I, I agree with that point. I think that's smart of you to point out. And the fourth rounder, Lajarius Need, who is stepping in there and really showcasing that he might not only be a ample replacement for Bashad Breelan, he might be a better option. I, it mm-hmm. remains to be seen how this goes the next two games. Let's see. We don't want to get ahead mm-hmm. of ourselves. But if he plays well against the Ravens and the Patriots, and these are wins.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's fair to wonder whether he gets the starting job when Breland comes back. And then all of a sudden, our issues about cornerback are where the issues are gone. You know, if if you can put Sneed out there across from Charvarius Ward, we've got a couple of good corners there if he really does play over the next two games to that level. And, and then Breland is a backup. Right. That's not bad. Final point from this game, marinated point, which
0: I love. We got to get a steak sponsor. I don't know who. <laughs> Patrick Eagle Mahomes. Man. Patrick Mahomes reminded me of Michael Jordan on Sunday in two moments. We already knew about the arms, so I'm not even going to include that ridiculous 60-yard through the air, on the run, flick of the wrist, pass to Tyreek Hill. We already knew about that. Third and 20. You have the Chargers playing good coverage. Nobody's open. The Chiefs don't convert. This game's over. Mahomes sees enough in front of them. Whenever the quarterback enters the open field, I don't care if you're Mahomes or any of the better quarterbacks, you got to be careful because you you sort of lose your quarterback protection. So he's risking Mm -hmm. his body. 21-yard game. Then the Chiefs are able to tie this game, right? And he hits McColl Hardman between... If you watch the replay, it is about six or seven defenders. Like Just finding ways to win... And there are qualities right now. Russ Russ Wilson of Seattle's playing really good football, um, nice. probably better than Mahomes, I would say in general. Had that really nice deep ball. I don't know if any other quarterback is making the two point conversion to McCole Hardman because. It just was this natural, insane ability to know where McColl could receive the ball. So it's like knowing your receiver, putting it in a place where you know McColl can catch it, that one of these six or seven receivers is not going to. It reminded me of the play to Travis Kelsey in the Houston Texans game where he just knew where Kelsey was going to be. So mm-hmm. to have that rapport with McCall. and you needed the two points. If the Chiefs don't get these two points, they they probably don't win this game. So it just was a Michael Jordan play to me in the sense that I'm not going to let us lose this game today. I'm not going to do it. And incredible to watch and just another, I think, it will eventually be because it's a two-point conversion and under-talked-about play of Patrick Mahomes' career. But that was one of those... you're almost left speechless moments, at least for me. Uh,
1: Yeah, I thought that two-point conversion was going to fail. And then all of a sudden, there's Hardman standing in the end zone with the ball. It tricked your eye. It it tricked your eye a little bit, too. It's like, where is he even throwing it? And it's like, he threw it to Hardman? (laughs) Yeah, but it goes back to what I was saying before. You know, one of the things that we probably have forgotten about this game is that if Butker had made that extra point earlier, that changes what happens at the end. You know, um, it it changes how things would have uh, happened, and that was because of a penalty. So the Chiefs found a way to come back from that and make up for it with that two-point conversion that allowed them to get to an overtime position. Um, And not every team's going to make that two-point conversion, yet they did. That was part of the formula to come back and win this game because without it, they don't get a shot at overtime. They just lose at the end of the game. And and then in overtime, they find a way to, to win again. Um, it just goes back to the point before that uh, this is what championship teams do. They have players that come through in those moments. And I think you have to include Hardman on that list. That wasn't an, exactly an easy catch. Uh, Mahomes definitely threw it in a place that only he could get it, but can you really count on a second-year real 2nd second receiver to do that? Travis Kelsey could do that, but McCole Hartman pulled it out, and you have to give him credit for that. Those
0: are your five marinated takeaways from Chiefs Chargers. Coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we will give you the latest on the Chiefs injuries. Plus, let's talk about the betting line for this game coming up on Monday Night Football. It's the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Stay with us. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. It's officially Ravens week, getting ready for Monday night football on ESPN in Baltimore on Monday. We have some injury updates, and though the Chiefs were able to get out of Sunday in better shape than a lot of other teams in the National Football League, there are some injuries we'll be focusing on as the team begins preparations. What will be Thursday? Don't forget, it'll be Thursday, Friday, Saturday practice day off Sunday, and then they will play on Monday night. Right now, going into the Chargers game, Colin Saunders went to IR, so the Chiefs ended up calling up Braxton Hoyette. Turk Wharton ended up getting some snaps along the defensive line. They ended up going with a lot of Derek Noddy and Chris Jones, so Chiefs didn't really miss Colin Saunders. Alex Okafor and Charvarius Ward were held out of this game. We'll see about Okafor when the first injury report comes out on Thursday. Charvarius Ward. Just depends on how he feels, I would think. It seems like he's going to eventually play through this fractured hand, which usually takes four to six weeks. He'll play with a club at some point. Will it be on Monday night? I think the Chiefs need him and and hope so, but remains to be seen. Again, we'll have more information on Thursday at ArrowheadPride.com when that injury report comes out. Coming out of this game, Frank Clark was sick. Antonio Hamilton had a groin injury. Sammy Watkins had that head or neck issue. We'll see if he's in concussion protocol. It seemed like he might be. We don't know. Daryl Williams had an ankle injury. John, when you look at those four injuries, most concerning to least concerning for you.
1: Um, I would put Sammy Watkins and Frank Clark as 1A and 1B. And then Daryl Williams and Antonio Hamilton at 2 and 3, I think.
0: Yeah, Um, I, I would tend to agree with that. I, I think the Chiefs were able to to manage with Darwin Thompson. They were able to manage without Antonio Hamilton, though it would have been nice. I, I think you sure, want some experience it, yeah. against some of these Chargers receivers, but the Chiefs were able to win the football game. Sammy's unfortunate because it's usually been a problem of his legs. You can't really blame him for his injury and and call him injury prone or anything like that for that what should have been an illegal shot to the head by Denzel Perryman of the chargers. We'll see if there's a fine. I believe that there'll be at least a fine related to that hit it. It was pretty clearly head to head. The refs missed one on that one. Most concerning to me though, you know, I think Watkins will be back at some point is Frank Clark with this sickness. I, Mm -hmm. I, it's a recurring problem that dates back to his Seattle days. He missed a couple games last year. He ended up losing 20 pounds worth of weight. Those problems rear their ugly head. This training camp, Andy Reid actually was asked about uh, the Frank Clark sickness issue that held him out of this game uh, on Monday.
2: No, he's, uh, he's been had this for a number of years, I believe. So, um, he, he works through it and, um, You know, nobody wants to be out there more than him. That's never a question with Frank Clark. He loves to play the game, but it's something that he battles through with this. And so, our our doctors try to monitor it and and uh, keep it under control the best they can. It's
0: tough because in that first game, Frank Clark looked so good, and he and he looked Mm -hmm. to really be disturbing Deshaun Watson and. That's such an advantage for the Chiefs, especially when you get into some of these close games out of the blue, where if you can have that Clark Jones one-two punch, who's ever playing the other edge position, makes it a lot tougher for the other quarterback to operate.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's why I had him at, at uh, A and B. I mean, I think Watkins is very concerning because we have strong evidence that the, the team is more successful on offense when Watkins is is out there, whether he's the one who's actually getting the production or not. So that's very concerning to me. And I agree with you that Frank Clark is concerning, not because he got sick for a game, but because he continues to get sick for games. And you have to wonder if this is some kind of a chronic problem that needs to be addressed. Um, It's probably not one that would, it's not like he's broken his arm and he has to be out to heal for, six weeks or whatever. But it, you have to wonder if this is something that's going to require some kind of medical attention so that he can get past it. I've got a relative who has stomach problems and, and fights it all the time. And, um, you know, th- they've given him prescriptions and this and that, and the other thing. But I, I really th- feel like this is something that the, that Clark needs to address is figure out what it is going to take for him to get past this problem. Cause it does seem to be a recurring issue And it does seem to be affecting his play. And, um, you know, it's not, again, something that's going to necessarily cause him to miss games. The solution might just be, uh, you know, identifying the problem and finding the right medications for it. But he's got to figure it out. Uh, Mm. This is not going to be okay. On Monday, Clark did tweet out, shout out to
0: everybody for their concerns. I'm solid, just got to hydrate more than usual, lost too much fluids, and it really took me under. Got up today feeling wonderful. So Well, let's hope it's that simple. Apparently he's feeling better and let's hope that we get him some Gatorade ahead of this game. (laughs) It's Baltimore. What are we doing? All right. So those are the injury updates. Kind of unclear at this point. And the chiefs don't really owe us an injury report until Thursday afternoon. Right now it is midday on Tuesday. So we'll get more information as the week goes on. The chiefs opened up as underdogs for the first time all year, man. Las Vegas got me. I put the house on the Chiefs minus eight and a half. And I, you, if you want to go back and play back how confident I was in this Chiefs team to cover that last week, you'll know that I'm feeling sorry this week. They did. They were not able to cover. The Chargers really did well in, in a division game. I should have been smarter than that to know that it was going to be closer to, to John's earlier point. But here we go. The Chiefs are underdogs, three point underdogs going into Baltimore against the Ravens, a little bit different with no fans. But that being said,
1: you feel like they should be underdogs going into this game, John, or you still believe in the Kansas City Chiefs? Well, I do. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a tight game. Uh, by the way, I just want to say that you're doing a great job doing the podcast from under the bridge there. Now that you've lost your home, uh, so a, I appreciate that the extra effort yeah. you've put in to be available. Someone to just it. took my lunch. I had a tuna fish sandwich. Here and <laughs> I can't. No, I, I, I do believe the Chiefs have a, a genuine shot to win this game. It's, it's pretty much a pick 'em. I think 5:38 uh, has. The Chiefs uh, as one-point dogs in this game. The betting lines are a little bit higher. But being a three-point favorite isn't really that big of a deal. I think that either team could easily win this game, and I'm going to put faith in the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes just because they've beaten the the Ravens a couple of times before. Yeah, I've got faith in the Chiefs, but I don't certainly believe they're absolutely going to win it. Now that you don't have a house to bet, at least you can do a little bit uh take a bet that's maybe not so terrible this time. Yeah, I'm going to have to really figure out what to barter
0: at this point, now that I have hardly <laughs> any clothing left. I, I'll say this. I think maybe a silver lining to the Chiefs, as I said, getting punched in the mouth on Sunday, is it might have been a little bit of a humbling experience. You mm-hmm. heard that a little bit from Tyreek Hill after the game, saying things like, we'll be ready next week. He didn't necessarily feel like by saying that, it, it seems like that the Chiefs were ready at the beginning of this chargers game Uh, they realize i think now that if they don't bring it from the beginning they could lose this is still the nfl and Mm -hmm. this is as good as a team as they'll face this year so uh, we will see how it all goes down next monday night we're gonna take a quick break then we will get through some takeaways from chiefs head coach andy Reid. We'll go through some injuries around the AFC West, and we'll preview the rest of the week. Stay with us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Andy Reid held a Zoom conference call on Monday, and we have some press conference takeaways from the Chiefs head coach, the first of which was the fact that Mike Pinnell will be eligible to come back from suspension, the run-stuffer fan favorite for the Chiefs. He had a two-game suspension to start the year. He is now eligible. So Andy Reid was asked about, will he be brought up
2: here? Yeah, so, uh, you know, there's a chance he's he's back up ready to go. So, um, you know, we're, we're you know, I'll, I'll let Veach do that part, but he'll uh, be there's a good chance he's up, Herbie
0: talk about a spark plug for your defense and at a time when they need it, they need a really a run stuffer who has some attitude. We saw the difference that he made last year during that run in the regular season. So I think Mike Pinnell is a welcomed addition to this defensive lineup.
1: Yeah. I'll have to mention though, that uh, Craig Stout noted this morning that uh, uh, Tershawn Wharton was actually a killer in there uh, on the, when he was on the field, the chiefs did very well against the run. So Uh, We'll start watching that very carefully. Um, So, again, the Chiefs have found a a good player there uh, out of the undrafted pool. Um, But, yeah, it'd be nice to get Pennell back at this point because uh, he actually gave a lot of life to the Chiefs' run defense last year. Although I'm still not convinced that running the ball and getting a lot of yards in the ground is the way to beat the Chiefs. Um, We'll have that discussion again another time, I'm sure, but uh, that said, you'd still like for the Chiefs' run defense to be better because it can hurt you late in the game. Just put just put Turk and and MV Pinnell right in the middle there. How are
0: you gonna yeah. How are you gonna get to the first down, Mark? Those guys are taking up the whole field. What What are but, we doing?
1: But but then when do we play naughty if we do that? <laughs>
0: just put all defense put 11 defensive linemen out there that's that's the way to go um now good good on on you to point out that that Turk Wharton was another find I mean we went through the draft for Brett Veach before Mm -hmm. he has found some undrafted guys as well uh, especially uh, in late rounds and and in the undrafted guys Uh, Turk Wharton is a good example this year kind of came out of the blue and also good on him for for moving on from Breland speaks and cutting your losses when, when you know that maybe you have a better guy from the undrafted free agent market. All right. Something else that championships teams do is (laughs) moving on when they've made a mistake. Speaking of fill-ins, Andy Reid was asked about how his young cornerbacks performed in this game. And he said, you know what?
2: They were, they were all right. You know what? They were respectable. I thought, um, you know, obviously Snead had the, had the interception, um, But Felton, I thought he, you know, he did a good job, too. So I thought the guys worked, uh, worked well. There's some things that they can take out of it and learn from. So, but I thought they they did a good job. So there
0: you go. Um, Rashad Fenton and rookie Legereus Sneed filling in for Bashad Breland and Charverius Ward. We already touched upon it, but Sneed has just been a blessing for the Chiefs at a position where I don't think they, they really thought they would need him this early on necessarily in the year. He was able to prove in training camp that he could do it. And he was told toward the end, that hey, you're going to get this starting position. And we saw that during the one open training camp practice.
1: Yeah, you have to wonder um, how this would, what we'd would be saying about Snead at this point if Bashad Breland uh, was not suspended for these first four games. Uh, now, we've had that happen a couple of years in a row now, so we've had an opportunity to see some rookies playing and some other players playing in place of the nominal starters. Sure, But uh, this has turned out to be quite an opportunity for Sneed, and he's really stepped up and made the most of it. There is one person
0: in the NFL with two interceptions, and his name is LeJarius Sneed, so mm-hmm. good on yeah. him. Uh, we talked about Butker. Andy Reid was asked whether he thought maybe Butker would have been able to make from 53, 58, 58 last year, whether he would have felt comfortable about putting him out there.
2: I want to tell you, yes, I, I can't tell you that. Though. I don't I don't know uh, how I'd feel about time before, but I had no doubt on this one. Um, at that point, I thought we were well within his range. David told me um, that 40 was, uh, he was hitting him consistently there. Uh, Before the game, there was no uh, conditions weather-wise that would have taken you out of that wind or whatever. So um, I had had full trust in him uh, making it.
0: I raved at Butker before, but just another detail on this. He really worked hard this offseason and added about 5 to 10 yards to his range. And he didn't necessarily need to. He was already making some long kicks. And you could tell that he has that Patrick Mahomes thing where he wants to be the best kicker in the game and now he's gained the trust of the coaching staff i think there'll be a scenario this
1: year where we might see a 60 yarder john yeah or even longer and i think butker can make it i mean um, all three of those kicks had plenty of room to spare even the third one the game winner uh hit the base of the wall uh easily 10 yards behind the 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 uprights so He's got the capability to hit those longer kicks, uh, and it'll it'll be interesting to see if he ever gets an opportunity because it's got to be a pretty strange, unique situation for the Chiefs to even try that. But uh, I think he could pull it off.
0: Yeah, what it would have to be. It'd be like 4th and 12 from the 42 with 10 seconds and a half left. Something like that. Mm -hmm. But that'll come up. That situation will come up. I mean, you know, we saw this past Sunday. It's not like the offense is going to be perfect. And uh, that extends to the coaching staff. We saw that Andy Reid's face shield wasn't perfect uh, that first week. And he (laughs) made an adjustment on Sunday. This was a hot topic. And it's time for my... Favorite segment of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, a little face shield talk. And this came out from Adam Schefter over the weekend. Chiefs equipment manager Alan Wright, who is a great guy, by the way, secured and deployed a product that hockey players use to defog their masks, Reed said over the weekend. He's expecting better visibility results in Sunday's game against the Chargers. And the mask was clear uh, against the LA Chargers. We didn't see any fog issues. And it was pretty funny uh, coming out of week one that he couldn't see his play sheet and he didn't want to find like some of these other coaches are getting around the league. What did I see? It was like a million dollars worth of fines that were handed out because coaches are not uh, doing all they can to wear their masks on the sidelines. So can't blame Andy Reid. He's not going to get Clark Hunt charged that money. He's not going to lose any money out of his bank account. He's following the rules. Right, John? Right. And that's the
1: whole point of this. I mean, it's easy to argue about masks. Uh, It's a hot button topic with a lot of people now. But the fact of the matter is that whether it's right or wrong, it's an NFL rule, and everybody's got to follow it, and you can't expect the NFL to have a rule that they're not going to make every effort to enforce, Um, and they're making it clear that they intend to enforce this thing um, by handing out these fines. $100,000 for coaches and $250,000 for teams, that's a pretty stiff penalty for uh, even a coach who makes millions in a year. $100,000 is not nothing. So uh, the NFL is making it clear they want this rule to be followed, and uh, and and credit to Andy Reid for figuring out something that works for him, and for Alan Wright, too, whom I agree is a great guy.
0: Yeah, that's a nice present for Mrs. Reid, and Tammy Reid, right, she's always cheering Andy on, was on there during the draft, she's always wearing those bedazzled Chiefs shirts to the games and things <laughs> like that, so... That'd be one less bedazzled shirt that we don't want to see taken out of coach Reed's pocket. So good on him for wearing the mask. All right. I want to get to some injuries around the AFC West. Terrible injury day. Uh, never something you want to see across the NFL. It did impact the AFC West, not in the regard to a team like the San Francisco 49ers who lost a lot of key players for the season, Oh man, and some other great players uh, around the league, but here's, I'll just go through some, some of the injuries Broncos. Uh, they'll be without drew lock for the foreseeable future. Uh, Cortland Sutton, Mark Barron, and Philip Lindsay are all injured at the moment. They are due to come back at some point. Not Sutton. Sutton is done for the year with, right. with the knee issue. Um I thought the Broncos would be the second team in the AFC West. They are now Owen 2 without Drew Locke, who has really shown me something in particular uh, for the next 6 weeks. So they have uh, the backup Jeff Driscoll, and they recently signed Blake Bortles to a contract. Uh I wonder who's who's going to start there. I'm not. I think it's unclear at the moment whether it will be Driscoll or Bortles. But Bortles had come close to signing with the Broncos in the past, and apparently was waiting until a better
1: opportunity. So could have Blake Bortles against Patrick Mahomes here. That'll be something to watch. Well, I think it's important to say that um, the Bortles signing isn't done yet. We're we're in this little netherworld that we see in the COVID nineteen year. Where right. they've indicated their willingness to sign him, and Bortles wants to come on board, but he's got to pass through the testing first, which he'll undoubtedly do. But it's not signed, sealed, and delivered yet. Uh, so, uh, and Locke could conceivably come back in a few weeks. Fangio said it might be three to five weeks, but six weeks—six weeks—is a good figure. We, uh, we're
0: at for Chiefs Broncos. By the way, we're at week seven, so that would right. be mm-hmm. in what, five weeks? So it, it'll, it'll be... But they, there is always a situation, right, in the NFL. It's so strange. And this goes back to like Anthony Lynn and saying he wants to go back to Tyrod Taylor. What if Bortles just rips off five wins in a row? Are you necessarily going... Not to say that that's going to happen, right? But are you necessarily going back to Locke? So it's just... an It's another interesting wrinkle. One you don't want to see, no right. Yeah, about your hatred for the AFC West, we don't want to see these injuries. But I just, I'm interested in seeing what what Bortles can do at this point. This is going to be the last chance for him, so
1: let's see. Yeah, Um, yeah, you never want to see this situation. But quarterback controversies are always fun, especially when they're not for your team. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Well, particularly when they're not for your team. The rest of the AFC
0: West, the Chargers lost Derwin James and their center, Mike Pouncey. Rashawn Jenkins got hurt last game. Uh, the Raiders are interesting. More importantly, they're healthy. Uh, do we mm-hmm. believe in Las Vegas after their 2-0 start? John, what do, you, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I watched some of that game last night against the New Orleans Saints, and the Saints had control of it uh, early in the game, and the their Raiders just kept chopping wood, and by the end of it, they built up a two-score lead at the end of the game. Um, honestly, they looked pretty impressive. Um, And so I I, I don't want to say that. I I don't want to admit the possibility that Gruden could be figuring this out. Yeah. And that Mike Mayock knows what he's doing. I don't want those things to be true. I just don't. I don't know what to do here. Here's here's what I I took away because I watched that whole game. I
0: think we overrated the Saints a little bit because they were able to take care of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and because they had Drew Brees coming back. Yeah. I think Drew Brees is having the Peyton Manning last year of his career thing happen to him early. I just saw a very unbreeze like play where he just, it looked like he knew where he was throwing and just didn't have enough arm and threw it right to a Raider on Monday night football. Now, that being said, not having a quarterback is going to hurt your chances to win a football game, but... The Raiders' offense looks pretty prolific. Way better than I thought it 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 would look. When there is time to protect Derek Carr, he is. He's not the best quarterback, but he is making the throws and hitting these these open receivers. Josh Jacobs looks really good. Darren Waller looks among the the best tight ends in the league. It, it's becoming an interesting team for me. And, I, and I'll and i say this is my last point. Not that I think the Raiders can win the AFC West, but going into the season, I had the Denver Broncos as the number two team. For me, it's very clearly the Raiders right now. Like I also want to see how the Chargers defense can propel them because I thought that... I know there's no moral victories in football, but I thought Sunday was a moral victory for the Chargers that at least the defense can build off of. Looks yeah. like Herbert may get another opportunity to start, so let's see what the Chargers. But right now... Very clearly, the Raiders could be a team to be reckoned with. And not that I think they'll win the AFC West. Who knows if they can sneak into the playoffs, especially because nine and seven is going to get it done now with that seventh pick or Mm -hmm. that seventh playoff team, I should say. So we'll
1: see. We'll see. Yeah. And I don't know that we should discount the Chargers either. I I agree Um, with you. I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think I was there with you that Denver was the team that we needed to be most worried about going into the season. But now I'm wondering if if that was wrong. Not, without, uh, not with their injuries yeah, at this point. Right, right, right. And, and that which, of course, is no fault of yours. You know, you can't predict who's, which teams are going to have a lot of injuries. But without Cortland Sutton and without their starting quarterback for a number of weeks, that's going to be a tough hill for them to climb. You know, we get these ideas in our head at the beginning of the season about which teams are good and which teams are bad. And, you know, going back to last season where the team lost to the Titans in the middle of the season, everybody's like, oh, my God, the Chiefs are terrible. They, You know, they lost to the Titans. They should have won that game. Well, yeah, they should have won that game. They made mistakes that made it possible for them to lose that game. But as it ended up, they played the Titans for the AFC championship. So it's not like the Titans were a bad team. Maybe that's the situation with the Chargers. Right now, it looks like the Chiefs laid down to an inferior team. But what if the Chargers turn out to be good? And that can only happen, you
0: know, this isn't a Chargers podcast, but that can only happen if Anthony Lynn rolls with the rookie. They are not going to be a playoff team with Tyrod Taylor. You've seen him. You know what Taylor is. Herbert injected life into that offense, who has some really good skill position players. That's the only path to the playoffs, and maybe for him to keep his job. I don't get the idea of Lynn going on record and saying it's going to be Taylor if he's good to go. You don't want to see a quarterback lose his job like that,
1: but what's the thought process there? But that's the thought process that always exists. The, the, the head coaches just do not want to, displace, to make an announcement that they're displacing their starter uh, because he had to go to the hospital today in right. the case of of Tyrod Taylor, that he's going to want to think about that. And it's much easier to come back from saying the, the regular guy is going to be the starter going forward than it is to say, we're going to put the rookie in there and change your mind about that. So it's actually much safer for the head coach to stick with the starter in a moment like that. And you're right. I think for the Chargers to be a much better team than we thought is going to require putting Herbert out there, but that is well within the range of possibilities that we're facing right now. Uh, you know, yeah, Lynn said that Taylor's going to be the starter, but I don't know that we necessarily should count on that. And and I I think he should be, personally. I think that uh, Herbert showed enough mistakes on Sunday that I'd be, if it were my call to make, I'd be antsy about making him the starter right now. Uh, you'll get more consistent success, I think, out of Taylor, but you won't get A big improvement. You could get a big improvement with Herbert Herbert if he uh, is able to learn quickly uh, when he's thrown into the fire.
0: Thank you for joining us here on Bolts Weekly. No. (laughs) In all seriousness, thank you for joining us today on the Arrowhead pride editor show coming up Wednesday. It's the Arrowhead pride lab mailbag on Thursday, because of this interesting week, we'll have a very brief AP editor show. We're not expecting a ton of news as we would usually get between now and Thursday. We'll still join you for at least a brief cup of coffee on Thursday update you on what's going on. Friday is the Arrowhead pride lab preview. We will have from the podiums where they fit throughout the week and catch John Dixon at Arrowheadphones on Twitter. Also follow us at P. G. Sweeney, that's me and at arrowhead pride keep it locked in at arrowheadpride.com for all your chiefs news and notes and thank you very much for joining us on today's edition of the arrowhead pride editors show